Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Back of the Guide Shack. Today I am talking with Nicole Smedegard, and uh, this is going to be a really awesome interview, I think. Um, I've really been looking forward to getting her on, not that she knew that. Um, just recently got around to asking her, and she was ha nice enough to offer the interview. Um, you want to say hello, Nicole? Hi everybody, I'm happy to be here. Um, we're actually in Weimar, no one knows where that is, but it's outside of the town of Rogue River, uh, which is, yes, a town and a river. And this is my childhood home. I grew up here and I uh, recently moved back in after like 16 or 17 years in Eugene. Um, so Micah's podcast is, you know, the guide shack, but I always kind of considered this a shack as well. Mm -hmm. It's a double wide. It's a double wide. It checks out. Standard shack material. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so you grew up in Weimar. How did you get into boating? Um, as a young child, there was a dam here, Savage Rapids Dam in Rogue River. Mm -hmm. And so we had a jet boat. It was like a flat bottom fiberglass V8 like race boat that my dad would participate in Boatnik. Okay. So he would pull me behind the boat on an inner tube um, and it was just like really loud and like really violent. Like he would go as fast as possible <laughs> and I would just high side for my dear little life and then I'd fly off, you know, and like my shorts would come off and like my life jacket <laughs> would come over my head. And so uh, that was my introduction to the Rogue River. And then also right nearby is Evans Creek. So I spent all my time swimming there. And in high school, we would go out to the Illinois River as most people from the Valley would for summer swimming. Um, so I did not go rafting until after I went to University of Oregon. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're right here and then... I know, but like my parents didn't even know about the wild and scenic section, I don't think. And to me, rafting was like those people with sunburnt beer bellies, like on <laughs> inner tubes floating down the flat section. Like I didn't understand that rafting could be a sport and that... Um, overnight trips existed. So that it's actually like one of my great regrets in life that I did not get introduced to rafting earlier. So Sean Bowen taught me to raft. That is awesome. He's one <laughs> heck of a boater. Uh, for that to be someone who taught you to boat, it definitely explains why you're equally as competent now. You, I, I can't wait. Anytime you're like, we got this unique river that we're going to go run. I'm like, uh, oh, I have to drop everything <laughs> And go figure out how I can get on the river with you and Sean. I, I absolutely love it. You guys are amazing. Um, well, and you recently put together one of those unique trips also with your scouting of Josephine Creek and hitting the water level just right. Yeah, so, we yeah. got very lucky with that one, I think. And that was an incredible afternoon. The mm -hmm. Just continuous whitewater on that is amazing. I so badly want to get back out there and do it again. That was the uh, perfect trip. It'll be hard to replicate those right. flows. I don't know. You know, the road apparently needs to be underwater in order for there to be enough water at the put-in. Right. So we talked about that. <laughs> uh, me and Mike discussed that, and we s decided that we could put in about a mile lower. Oh, I decided that too. Yep. Like, we're not going all <laughs> the way up there. Uh, there's a spot where you can pull out, and there's like an old mining cabin, and it's only about 20 feet down to the water. Um, at which point then we won't have to like scrape over rocks for the first mile because that was exhausting at the beginning yeah 
Yeah, the looks on people's faces while they were humping the boat. And so it would come off one rock and just immediately land on another one. You're like, well, it's only ankle deep. Maybe you should just uh, go for some lubricated hiking. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but no, not not to make it sound bad. This was a fantastic trip. And it got deeper. And the rapids got better. Um, big group, fun group of people. Absolutely. So you started boating when you got into, when you were up at University of Oregon. How did you go from being a private boater to becoming a raft guide? Uh, sort of accidentally. Uh, there's a <laughs> woman who at the time was probably the most badass babe I've ever met, uh, Dove Miller. Yep. That checks, checks out. out. Dove is badass. <laughs> and I had been private boating for about a year and I had just bought my first boat named Willie Nelson. Uh, it was a 13 foot Vanguard and I got it used off Craigslist. Vamborghini? Yeah, it drives like a little tank, sort of, you know, the flat front just like stops when you hit holes and then um, turns sideways and surfs you. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> uh, but a good boat to learn on because uh, you learn to fear holes. True. And, 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 and you set your angles right in the future. Mm -hmm. For sure. That helps, I think. So I think I did like one rogue trip and then I was in the front of Sean's boat and then he invited me to do the Grand Canyon. Um, and he had a permit for March 20th. He's actually had three permits for this same date. It's like a magical date for him. <laughs> and we got this like ragtag group of people together. No one had been down the Grand Canyon except Sean. Um, and he had been once. And so he was our trip leader. And I think we had nine people, a couple of whom hiked out at Phantom. And um, so it was a small group. Was that planned? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. It, was. it wasn't yeah. like they it got to Phantom and they were like, I'm done with Peace, this. I'm out. <laughs> no, I've never had that happen. Although, you know, I'm sure it does. That's definitely how I felt after we went through House Rock. Oh, I had, what happened at House Rock? I had never seen holes that big in my life. And you're like, we're doing this? I and don't know, I, dude. <laughs> and it was rated as a seven or mm -hmm. it was like a six or seven. And Garn had told me that it's a lot like Argo. Mm -hmm. That's not true at all. Thank you. So, <laughs> completely not. I started running it the way that I would run Argo, which is different than a lot of other people, and ended up smashing the first hole like sideways. No, just like four <laughs> feet into the side of the hole, like just oh, fun. just on the edge. Mm -hmm. And I came over the top and was like, "Holy shit!" And I looked down and there was an even bigger hole. Mm -hmm. And I got more into that one. Still made it through because I was far enough on the outside. But then floated around the corner and just thought to myself, we're fucked. There's no way I'm going to make if it through this. Seven. If that's a seven. <laughs> and there's still a nine downstream. Yeah. Um, you didn't do the downstream ferry angle where you like pull across the shallows and then no. whip the bow around? Okay. No, I pushed. Yeah. The whole thing. Um, I started that's on, a bold move. I started on the left. Yeah. And as soon as the current started pulling me, I just started pushing as hard as I could to the right. And then realized there's no way you're going to miss these holes. So I had to turn and just kind of point into them and smash them. Did you feel scared or did you feel excited? Like A little bit of both. Were you, were you shaking? I came out the other side <laughs> just really questioning whether or not I had made a good decision. Yeah. In the whole like coming down the Grand Canyon. Like am yeah. I even prepared? Should I be here? Yeah. Am I a good enough boater to even be doing this right now? Um, but we made it through without any hitches, so that was exciting. Yeah, my first time rowing House Rock, I was shaking as I rode it. <laughs> uh, my arms felt like wet noodles because I had so much adrenaline going. 
And I also was like, this might have been a bad choice. Right. <laughs> what have I done? But anyway, I got back from the Grand Canyon and I was like, actually, I think I can be like a boater. I, I built some confidence. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't row most of the hard rapids on the first trip, but then I rowed my own boat the whole way the second trip. So also on Sean's March 20th. <laughs> nice. Um, so Dove was like, oh, yeah, you, uh, you know, you seem like you sh- should be a good fit to be a raft guide. You should definitely apply. And I was like, nah, they wouldn't want me. Like, I have, like, one-year private trip experience. They don't want me. Um, but then there was this really cold, kind of gray, wet summer in Eugene. And it was so disappointing. Like, in my mind, summer is, like, swimming weather, hot and sunny and... I was like, that's it. I got to get back to Southern Oregon, at least for part of the year. So I applied to every single outfitter that works on the Rogue on the Wild and Scenic Overnight Stretch. And um, within like two weeks, Kate called me back and interviewed me. And then like two months later, all the other companies called me for an interview. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, okay, okay. So I guess I'm doing this. Um, And then the first thing that happened right before guide season is I, I went down to Illinois with Sean and got off the Illinois and then drove straight to Angel's Camp for like a swift water rescue course. So I got there at two at night, two in the morning. It was dark o'clock. <laughs> um, I was very confused because I like pulled into the operation and like I didn't see any cars or anything. And I was like, oh shit, am I even in the right place? And so I just sleep in my car in this parking lot. It says oars like on the building, but it sort of. I don't know. I, I thought it was going to be nicer. <laughs> it sort of looked like a guide shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in the morning, yeah, I found the people. They were all around back. And they're like, oh, we're not doing day trips on the American, actually. Um, Sierra Rescue said that we're going to go do an overnight trip on the Tuolumne at 7,000. And I was like, uh, Hell yeah. Okay. So I've got, like, my muck boots and, like, my pig farmer bibs and, like, a wetsuit. And, like, not very good overnight gear with me because I, like, just took the things I had with me on the Illinois and just, like, drove. And I was like, oh, no, this is bad. So I was one of only two people without a dry suit on that trip. And I just got my ass handed to me. And I seriously questioned whether or not I should be a guide. Like, I'd interviewed and been hired on I don't know what basis. And, um... And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, our instructor was just yelling, like, if you can't get yourself back in the boat, you can't be a guide. And I'm just, like, freezing and, like, shaking, and my hands are, like, these, like, ice claws. Right. And we flipped every single boat in Sunderland Chute, except one, a gear boat. So that was, like, two gear boats flipped and all the paddle boats flipped on accident. This was not a flip drill. (laughs) Oh, my God. So there's, like, 16 swimmers or something just randomly strewn about the river and you know after that we're doing flip drills and stuff and I was just like this is insane you know and so that was um what do you call that is that type two fun or in the moment you're scared and it feels really difficult and you're like not having any fun and then afterwards like depending on how traumatized you are like one to two years later you're like yeah I want to do that again I think I can do it better now yeah Yeah, that's your type two fun. Yeah, so that's what keeps me coming back. When I was a kid, um, I was sort of like raised to be a boy. Okay. At one point, my dad said, you're the son I never had. Because my my brother had Down syndrome and autism. He doesn't speak. So my dad couldn't teach him to fix cars or shoot guns or drive jet boats. Um, So, like, my motto as a child was sort of like, anything a boy can do, I can do better. Hell yeah. (laughs) But you do it better. No. (laughs) 
in many scenarios that I've witnessed, you've done it better than most of the guys out there. Well, it, it's funny, though, to put, like, a gendered lens on something right. like boating. Um, but, yeah, I think that arriving as a new guide, you know, it was just, like, this complete transformation of my whole being. Because I wasn't really that good at anything beforehand. I was, I was like, very nerdy. Like, I was classroom good at stuff. I wasn't, like, real world good at stuff. Okay. And then, so, first and second year guiding, just, like, getting your ego crushed and your ass handed to you over and over. And, like, that swift water course um, was what I needed, I think, to develop into a, a good private boater. It's, like, guiding, like, changed who I am so that I could pursue private boating in a way that is... Uh, is like an adventure sport instead 100%. of just like a booze cruise, you know? I feel that so much. Because like when I was private boating before getting into guiding, I was like, you know, I was running like class two stuff. And it was, it was just booze cruising. Mm-hmm. Then I got into guiding and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of pretty good at this. Maybe we should push it a little more. Let's see what we can do. And then we ended up meeting, well, I ended up meeting you. And you invited me on a bunch of trips that I never would have been on. That definitely, when I got done with it, I looked back and was like, in the moment, there were a couple points where I felt like I was a little over my head. Well, you were just yelling the whole time, so I thought you were having fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that, too. It's really hard to tell with me it's and... It's hard. I, yeah. There's... When me and Jay Blue are in a boat together, there's a lot of hooping and a hollering. And, and you then... and Danielle, too. Well, yes. We're all loud. We're all very loud people. <laughs> Sean and I would look back and be like, are they okay? And I'd be I think that's a happy yell. I think that's a happy <laughs> I think. It's hard to differentiate between the oh shit yell and the that was awesome yell. I get that. Yeah. I think for a lot of people that feeling you get after the rapid like is what you're chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be an oh shit yell in the moment, but it becomes a hell yeah at the end. Right. And that, I think that's probably one of the more rewarding things. It's like you turn, you get to turn around, look back, and you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> 30 seconds ago, I was questioning some of my decisions, but now I feel like I, I did it. I, we did it well. Let's move on to the next one. It's such a good confidence booster to be able to um, constantly like challenge your own limits mm-hmm. and keep that progression going. And so like things that don't have a progression don't interest me. Like if there isn't room for improvement, I get bored and, and leave. 100%. Yeah. That definitely checks out um a perfect example of that i just went and did my swift water pro course last time i just did a regular swift water course mm-hmm. and i was like okay you know what i think i'm at the point where i should be pushing it a little bit further and i got out there and like i was telling you when i first showed up i was so uncomfortable for like the first half of the day like i think i got in over my head but then by the second half of the day you're like you know what i think i got this mm-hmm my instructor has given me a, a 10, 15 pointers that has changed my outlook on swimming in a rapid oh. completely. Can you share like your top two of those? I always need pointers. Uh, the biggest thing that he gave me is he's like, you know, in order to break an eddy line in a swift current, you have to be swimming across that eddy line. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but it's not happening when I'm trying to do it. Were you, like, like, rolling instead well, of swimming? I was, well, I was doing both. I was yeah. swimming into it, and then where I thought I was supposed to be rolling, I was rolling, and then I was somehow, like, 10, 15 feet below the rock, swimming upstream, trying to get back into the eddy. Got it. Uh, and then he just kind of was like, you're a boat. He's like, you know when a boat hits an eddy line and it peels out? 
I go, yeah. He's like, that's what's happening to your body. You need to feel where your legs are being pulled, and that's the back of your boat. Mm-hmm. Be a boat. I know you know how to control a boat. Angle. Right. <laughs> Keep your angle. Don't like let the river pull your legs around. Keep it in that same direction. And that in itself was like, oh. You're like, oh, I knew that. I know how to control a boat. <laughs> I'm a boat. Cool. Got it. You're kind of sinking, but you're a boat. You're mm-hmm. like you're like a neutral buoyancy boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I picked up from our instructor was he told me not to kick my feet. I had been kicking my feet through the rapids, and okay. every rapid that we swam for the first half of the day, my legs were just getting destroyed oh, are on you rocks. Hitting all, you're hitting the rocks. Because okay. I was kicking my legs. As soon as I stopped doing that, I'm sliding over the rocks. I'm not pushing Crashing. my legs into them as I'm floating by. Yeah. So that was another huge tip. It was just like, okay, this has to be, I need to set my angle, and I'm paddling from the front of the boat, mm-hmm. and I just, the legs... They're there as a gauge to figure out where you are. Um, yeah, they're your like little wind vane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, exactly. that's cool. Uh, and I think those were probably the two biggest tips that he gave me. That was just like yeah. game changer. <laughs> I feel drastically more confident now. Nice. Um, no, and that's why people yeah. take the courses. You know, there's a lot to be said for for instruction, like someone watching you and giving you instant feedback instead of you're just swimming a rapid and it doesn't go well and you don't know why. Right. Like, what did that, you're like, it must've just been a bad rapid. Mm-hmm. But like there are definitely techniques. For sure. I think I remember the first time I really, um, sort of had aha moment swimming a rapid. There's a section of the North Fork of the middle fork of the Willamette just okay. below the miracle mile. It's the bottom of the miracle mile. It's the, uh, swimmer's alley. Okay. And I swam it. <laughs> that sounds figure. exciting. I know. Uh, but it was so shallow and swift and there was nowhere to get out. And so I kind of just like did this Superman thing where I was flat on the surface and I actually pointed my face downstream, which we always tell clients never to do. But it allowed me to swim aggressively with a fairy angle in behind these little micro eddies because I could approach them like as if I was a boat. And mm-hmm. so my, my life jacket was taking the, the rocks and I was just kind of like slithering over them. I swam this whole thing. I didn't get my IK back till the very end. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and I didn't get a single bruise. That's amazing. It was amazing. Everyone was like, oh my God, are you okay? That must have really hurt. And I was like, no, we're good. Life jacket got it. I've just been sliding over <laughs> all these into these little eddies. It's like a little penguin. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be teaching Swift Water Rescue this spring, starting oh, nice. in June. Very cool. Uh, yeah, is so that I'm excited about it. Your operation, or are you working for someone with that? Um, the certification will be American Canoe Association, but mm-hmm. it's it's my business, and gotcha. I'm taking the instructor course in Eugene as soon as I get back from the Middle Fork Feather. Very so cool. that's like my whole end of April is just super jam packed mm-hmm. with like back to back boating stuff. So yeah, I take the instructor course, and then I have a couple days off um, before I start the rowing clinics at oars and then I have um two swift waters a regular one level four ACA cert and then also a women's um so I don't have any reason to think I won't get checked off to be an instructor but you right. know hopefully that goes well absolutely uh <laughs> how do how would somebody sign up for one of those classes oh it's on the website um my website is nature nicole whitewater and 
there's online booking or you can just email me or call me perfect but yeah there's only one spot left actually on oh, wow. the first the june first one uh and it's all people i know it's all private voters who i've been on the river with in various scenarios who um were just like oh you're gonna be doing that i couldn't find anyone in southern oregon that was doing it like i'll totally sign up mm-hmm. and so um i think there's sort of a lack of instruction down here it seems like sure. it's full 100%. of it's like full of yahoos and like mm-hmm. people want training but there isn't really training that's accessible. You know, either it's like you have to drive to Coloma like right. you just did, um, or it's super expensive. Or you know, to go through a company, they're doing like a a guide training, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily like targeting it at private voters. Right. So if you don't actually want to be a guide, it's not super helpful to take the guide training. Right. Uh, when I did my guide school, um, there was a lot of like, this is how you set up camp. This is how you rig your boat. Yeah, private like, boaters don't private do boat, that. They, they're going to... I mean, maybe they do. <laughs> it's possible. It might make their lives easier, but yeah. like they pretty much, for the most part, know how to feed themselves and yeah. take care of themselves. So Yeah, so with my group, um, the people I know that are signed up, we're really going to focus on like boating as a group to progress to class four okay. and above. That, you know, working on boat spacing and team rescues and communication and, like, setting yourself up so that if somebody does get in trouble, like, people are in the right place because they anticipated it. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not, you know, a mile downstream. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then, obviously, all the hard skills, swimming, ropes, wading. Learning about vector poles. Love the vector poles. (laughs) Vector poles are great. I, okay, I have a confession, though. Okay. Um, I haven't taken math since junior year of high school. Okay. So, yeah, I got a BA at U of O in English. I don't <laughs> understand how a vector pull works. Sean tried to explain it to me. He got out this, like, <laughs> book on trigonometry, and he's like, blah, 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 and he's showing me the diagram, and I'm like, so because of trigonometry? Because of triangles. It works because of triangles. It works because of triangles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also have no idea how it works. All I know is that if you... Grab it in the middle and pull on it at the right angles. It increases your your pull. Yeah. Just like so, I would love yeah, to see you know. get somebody for your show who can actually explain in layman's terms how those vector forces work. Mm, I think probably the right person for that would probably be uh, Mr. Lumen. Yeah. But that'll be a different day. Yes. <laughs> um, what would you say is your favorite craft to paddle? Oh, Paddle Cat by far. So um, when I started, I started rowing. First, mm-hmm. I was on the little empty 13-footer, and then I was on the big 16-foot heavy gear boats at work, and then um, heavy gear boat on the Grand Canyon here and there. So the rowing was like my control freak part of me being really happy because I can put the boat wherever I want, and I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's no like second person involved. Right. And what did you say at one point? You said... That an R2, or was it Ryan that said this? Oh, that, it's Ryan. Yeah. Ryan do you says know this. what I'm going to say? Yes. What, please, said, please. <laughs> I think he said it's like having like two arms, but one of your arms is another person with a paddle or something. Right. So it's yeah. like, so how, how it's go? like a, it's like rowing with two brains. Two brains. Yeah. And two separated <laughs> arms. And the problem with that ideology in my mind is that the brains aren't connected. And if you're not talking to each other, you have mm-hmm. no idea what the person on the other side of the boat is going to decide to do. Uh, yes and no. So um, 
when we Sean on a whim bought a high side paddle cat, okay, which is a very small craft. It can do most things hard shell kayaks can do, mm-hmm. and it's so small. In fact, that it's very tippy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good learning curve. And so we learned to R two on that as just an experiment. And we started doing really creaky stuff. We went down like Opal Creek. God mm. bless its little soul. Hope it comes back one day. <laughs> Poor little Opal Creek. Oh. Um, and things like that, right? Kind of steep, narrow, rocky, you know, like Upper Quartzville. Things that hard chill kayakers are like, ooh, you're going to take a raft on that? And we were like, well, it's a paddle cat. It's not a raft. Just... And so it, it totally changed my perspective because I went from being solely like an ego boater where you're like, I can put my boat where I want to it being a team sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I like only having a team of two though because there's just less moving parts. It's easier to deal with. 100%. Yeah, so I, R2 uh, is the wave of the future. I despise R3-ing, <laughs> especially since I always end up in the back and no one else in the boat cares what you have to say. Oh. Because you're not a guide, you're all guides. And so everybody's making their own decisions and you're like, stop paddling! <laughs> just, God, what are you guys doing? It's oh exciting. Gosh. I love it. It's so much fun. So you run your R3 um, like everyone is an equal brain. You don't give, you don't tell the two people in the front, hey, I'm the paddle captain. I and tell them that and they don't. They don't listen. Right. Because they think they're R2-ing. Bingo. And that you're just like, And I'm just in the back. I'm just in ruddering in the back well, of the shit, boat. Why don't you just put your paddle down and just hold on then? That's, I did. <laughs> I did it on the To Kill McGorge like twice. Uh-huh. I said, nope. Strong work. By the way, I did not want to do that. <laughs> way to step up on that move yeah, yeah, i was yeah. like not it nose goes <laughs> not it, like, and as soon as you said not it i was like that leaves me that leaves me <laughs> shit okay let's do it and there was no space in the back of that 13 rogue boat because the floor sits so high right the get down the, is the like get down is not a thing no it's you're just you're really just pushing your legs on the thort and just like trying to grab onto anything, but You're there bracing wasn't like a starfish. There wasn't even a perimeter line on the boat. <laughs> yeah, that actually bothers me. Um, I did a women's winter white, <laughs> bleh, women's winter whitewater workshop, mm-hmm. and we did flip drills, flip practice, and no one could get back in the boats that didn't have perimeter lines on them when the boat was um, flipped back over. That checks out. Yeah, it's just super helpful to, to get back in the boat with those. Uh, yeah, so note to self, when borrowing boats, make sure they have the proper equipment so that you can re-enter. <laughs> 100%. Whatever that might be for you, you, yeah. you should do it and uh, make sure it's there on anything where you might flip. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that my instructor on my Swift Water course showed us is he did a um, like a cam strap from D-ring to D-ring over the thort, mm-hmm. and then he put cam straps pulling it down so there's not that little yeah it it gets rid of your entrapment hazard when there's not that little v where the thwarts go down but it still gives you a really good thing to grab onto a hundred percent and i've seen all the best um you know people who are doing hard stuff who i idolize like i see them running stuff like that well yeah you're when you go for a swim after you've been paddling for an hour it's hard to get back in the boat you can self-rescue in a flat water scenario all day long some people can't (laughs) <laughs> okay you, you should can, you can you practice should. it all you want but when you're exhausted and you just flipped a boat and you just swam giving yourself any edge possible to get back into the boat yeah. is massive yeah i was teaching people to like step on their flip lines too oh yeah i step ladder i've swing. tried like which slip like flip or not flip lines but your 
perimeter line. People have like kind of looser perimeter lines. Oh, is that kind of would shit himself? Oh yeah. <laughs> if it, it's so loose, you can put it down under your foot. That's kind of bad. I saw somebody use their knee. Oh, okay. They just shoved so, it down and kind of yeah. pushed their body up and hooked their knee on it, and it popped them in the boat. And I was like, like oh, oh, that's <laughs> interesting. I've been in those scenarios where I've tried to climb in and the strap just goes down into the water, and you're like, yeah. oh, I'm fucked. I have a good brief story on that. I um, I was in the paddle cat on the uh, North Fork Feather, the the harder section. Which one is it? It's uh, Tobin, mm-hmm. and we flipped in that like brushy undercut spot, and the perimeter line went over my head as we flipped because I was hanging onto it and while it was, I high sided. Oh, and whoa. it was great because it kept me with the boat. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I just. <laughs> <laughs> No, we just shot into the eddy, and I was able to just take it back off, you know? But it was like, okay, yeah, this rope stretches when it gets wet. We need to add something. So we added um, a cam strap and shortened the perimeter line, and then the cam strap is hooked to the D-ring and the the bite at the end of the rope, and so then you can cinch them together so that after you start going and it gets wet and it loosens, you can cinch it up. So. Mm -hmm. That's the new trick on our boat. <laughs> uh, on Little Blue, we just deflated it mm-hmm. and cinched it as tight as we could and mm-hmm. then reinflated it. And usually until you top it off, like the whole boat is just being pulled in by the perimeter line. But even then, when it gets wet, it still is a little bit loose. Do you have tubular webbing on yours? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. It's not my boat. I want to just get... <laughs> I just borrow it. I want to just get like some static line and just use that with the cam strap. Today. That would probably be ideal. Yeah. I find the tubular webbing is hard to get my fingers under compared to a round rope okay. when your hands are really cold and you're trying to get back in. Yeah, if it's sitting flat. On it, yeah, if your... it's flush, it's um, you're like clawing at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, not a good, great place to be when you're trying to get out of the water. Yeah. What would you say is your all-time favorite run? Ooh, that's hard. I know. That's a really you, hard question. You've done so much and like so many rad runs. Um, I mean, I have to go for an overnighter because I think okay. overnighters are kind of the, the epitome of what rafting allows you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be a little bit of a toss up between the Illinois and the Chetco. Okay. So for a raft, the Illinois, um, 2,500 favorite flow. That's your favorite flow? 70 degrees and sunny. The storm just finished. Um, springtime. So April, 2,500 and dropping. Perfect trip. Do you think we're going to see that in the next week? Yeah. Oh, well, you're going to be on the I'm gonna feather. Be, I'm going to be in California. Yeah. Oh. I'm going to miss it. You should go without me, though. <laughs> I would love to, um, but I need to finish making some paddles before guide season starts. Oh, but... but and that's... But... <laughs> I'm already, like, two, maybe three months late on three of them. Well, then what's the difference of three more days? I just, and I, you can do it in two at higher course. I need to focus. The ADHD is it's hard, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I also have I absolutely love that run on the Illinois. It and like part amazing. of the reason I moved back to Southern Oregon was to be closer to all my favorite streams because just the water clarity down mm-hmm. here and the true wilderness feel. So you know you go some places and they're like, oh, this is a wilderness run, and you're like, well, yeah, but people can like hike, drive, and jet boat into it. Right. Um, you know, even going out to I think a lot of people would say their favorite river mo- would be like the Middle Fork um, salmon in Idaho, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, it doesn't feel like the same amount of isolated 
as the Illinois does to me. Uh, the Kamiopsis Wilderness is like one of those last places that people really aren't. Like there's a couple miners, there's a couple backpackers, mm -hmm. and uh, that's about it. Right. A lot so, of burned stuff. <laughs> and the Chetco is also in the Kamiopsis Wilderness, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What does that trip look like? Uh, it's a little bit of a suffer fest to get in there because it's, um, it's a nine-mile hike from the access point that I like to use. And to be clear that that hike is not flat ground. No, I mean, of course not. Have you it's... been to the Klamath Mountains? <laughs> it's not terrible, though. So you go up, uh, I don't know, just 900 feet or something at the beginning, and then you kind of follow the ridge, and then there's another little up um, after Bailey Cabin, but then... The descent is actually the hard part. Uh, your knees sort of turn to jello when you're carrying a heavy pack. And it's a it's like a 2,000 foot drop over the course of like less than two miles. Um, and it's very loose. So the, the descent at the very end of the day is the hard part. Yeah. But there are other ways to get into the Chetco. Um, I hear you can come in from like the Vulcan Lake side and put in higher up. You can also go over Chetco Pass. So you would start on the Illinois River drainage. You would walk across the Boy Scout Bridge, and then you would hike up the hill behind that camp, mm -hmm. and then drop down, and that puts you in further down the Chetco. Uh, so you'd put in at Slide Creek instead of Carter Creek. Um, but I, we did that the first time I went, and I didn't like it. It was a lot of steep elevation at the beginning, and it just felt stupid to hike all the way out of one drainage and into the next drainage. Yeah, that so out. I would rather drive partway to the top and then hike for longer then have to hike straight up and then straight down. Like, I'd rather follow the ridge. Well, but that's also, just my personal You also preference. get a little more rafting out of it. You do. There's actually a really pretty section up there. Um, Magic Canyon, I think it's called. Uh, how many days does that trip take? If it were high water and you were very fit, you could do the whole thing in three days. So one day of hiking, two days of boating. Okay. Um, I figure if I'm going to hike my ass all the way in there, I'm going to take my time and enjoy it. So we usually do one day of hiking and three days of boating. Um, and this is at flows of like 500 to 2,000 in the Brookings gauge. Okay. But yeah, I've definitely heard of people doing it quite a bit higher and you know, it being possible that you could even do it in one day with a hard shell. Like for instance, if you were to come in from Vulcan and it was like 5,000 in Brookings and you had a hard shell, you could probably make it all the way out in one day as long as you don't have mishaps. At that flow, do you think you could fit a raft down it? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. So you just have to have some really motivated people to carry in some boats. Yes. Because um, you, you can't use anything mechanical because you're in the Calumiopsis wilderness. Correct. correct. Yeah, no wheels, no okay. motors. Um, you could horse pack or you could hire a Sherpa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can make your boyfriend carry your boat for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think it'd be hard to get my boyfriend to carry the boat for me. You just need to get a better boyfriend. That checks out. <laughs> Um, so that trip is special because the access difficulty keeps all the people out. And it's also really good whitewater. Mm -hmm. Super fun. Yeah, I've seen a couple videos of it and it looks pretty incredible. Um, and the water looks clear. Yeah, it, it's like, like uh, probably similar clarity to the upper reaches of the Smith River drainage. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really clear. It's more of a it's more of a blue than a green. The Smith is kind of a green, like an emerald. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chetco is more of a teal. Interesting. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, do you have a just like a favorite memory from the river that is something that you love telling around the campfire? What's your best story? 
Oh, well, I always end up telling carnage stories around the campfire because that's what everyone <laughs> wants to hear. Yeah, that checks out. Um, and they're only my favorite in that they make good stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have this one memory of commercial guiding that sort of keeps me going when I'm having some customers that maybe I'm not enjoying as much. I'm like, it's okay. The next batch might be really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this trip was a charter trip for the birthday of somebody who ran the Adventure Travel Trade Association, which is like an international entity. Okay. Um, really cool people. And we did an activity where everyone drew names from a hat and they got like kind of a secret Santa um, or a potlatch, if you will. And the goal is that by the end of the trip on the last night, you have to have made a gift for the person whose names that you drew. Oh, that's fine. And the gift has to be like of things that you found on the trip. You can't be like, here's my necklace that I brought. It's like something you... You gotta make it. Yeah. So people made all sorts of really wild things. Um, A popular one was like rock and plant art. But this one guy just comes out of the bushes at Tacoma and he's wearing a kilt and he is playing the bagpipes. Is is he on your trip or is this just a random person? Okay, this is one of your customers. Very cool. And he (laughs) walks down the hill playing the bagpipe and his gift is a song for one of the women on the trip. And in the middle of his bagpipe song, every so often there's a reference to flatulence and he makes a farting noise with his bagpipe. (laughs) 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 Um, And it was, he was really good. He, I mean, bagpipe is not easy to play and you could tell this guy was very accomplished. He's, yeah, he'd been doing it for a minute. He'd been doing it for a while. (laughs) And then, you know, everybody's just like, dumbfounded and amazed like this guy just walked out of the woods playing the bagpipes and like where did this come from and the song was really good did you guys even know he had a bagpipe in his dry bag i was like oh my god i've been like kneeling on this guy's dry bag to like cinch it down every day i had no idea there was bagpipes in there (laughs) so but you didn't break him he didn't bring an extra bag either i don't think he just we give each person like one bag Mm -hmm. and he had chosen in his bag to just bring the bagpipe and it's big. It like barely fit in and there. And one pair of clothes. <laughs> yeah. And so I was just pretty amazed at that um, that particular man and that particular group. We stayed up late um, doing a drum circle on milk crates and pots and pans too. Oh yes. <laughs> and one of the guys rapped, but <laughs> but in like a different language. Oh fun. <laughs> so he was one of the international guests. Yes, it was international folks. So um, that was a good trip. Yeah, that sounds like an odd, that that would make me want to keep guiding. Like this could happen again. Yes. Something equally as awesome. No, obviously not this exact scenario, but something equally as awesome could happen again. Oh yeah, I get that. Yeah. I feel that one a lot, especially towards the end of the year. You have to start looking back and going, okay, I'm tired. Mm. I'm angry, potentially angry overworked. <laughs> but in the last two weeks, I've had these three groups and. Today sucks, but tomorrow will be better. Yeah. Yeah, some days actually feel like fun, not work. Mm-hmm. Those, those are the days that I'll just hold on to. <laughs> right. I try, yeah, on day trips and nugget trips, it's really easy, in my opinion, because they only are with you for six hours at the most. Um, if you're doing a nugget trip, they're with you for less than two. So you just start telling jokes, and then you start telling stories. And the funny thing I've noticed is they don't believe the true stories and they do believe the ones mm. that are absolute utter lies. It's like two truths and a lie. <laughs> yeah. All right, now you got to pick <laughs> which one you think was true. 
and that I don't know. I think that kind of like helps the guests get into kind of a better have fun kind of a mood. And once your guests get into that kind of a mood, the day feels better. The day feels funner. Mm-hmm. Um, More fun. Funner. <laughs> funnister. Funnister. It's yes. That's I think that's it. Funnister. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, you definitely have bad days, but you get those good ones. You got to hold on to the good ones. And it's hard to remember the good ones sometimes. Because you're like... Yeah, no one is ever like, remember that time that that really scary rapid just went really smoothly? It went super smoothly and we had a great time that afternoon. I do actually uh, have fun in um, disaster scenarios, though. I I think that's... It's it's exhilarating. I I get excited. Yeah. (laughs) You'll never forget them either. And I truly am having fun. I like problem solving. Mm -hmm. So if there's a complex problem... And there's no obvious answer. And, you know, as long as it's a heads up situation, there's nobody, nobody's person is in danger. Right. Uh, then I enjoy unwrapping boats and chasing down gear or even like hiking or portaging. Like I'm not, I'm not like, oh, we have to portage. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what's the best route? Can I set up a rope to make this easier? <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like real time problem solving mm-hmm. all the time. It's like life, man. It's like life, man. <laughs> uh, now you start pushing for adulting. Ooh, yeah, using that's real a hard words. <laughs> I'm really hoping that by starting this little side business, I'm not going to have to do any adulting in the winter. That right. I'll be able to just have like some shoulder season mm-hmm. courses that I'll offer, and then I'll be able to take off like December, January. Mm-hmm. Um, we're tentatively planning on doing an Ecuador trip next January. Oh, wow. As long as, you know, travel is all good to go and everything. That sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so earlier you had referenced uh, your uh, women's whitewater yeah, training thing. course. It's just it's just but, private trips right? with a focus on uh, building, like, safety awareness mm-hmm. and self-rescue and group rescue. So... We just go boating. It's not for money or anything. It's just like mm. a thing we do, me and my girlfriends. And then like at the end of the day, we'll do some flip drills or during the day, we'll like talk about how to scout um, or it's just more intentional learning than a lot of times where now, especially like the people I boat with regularly and who I know their ability level, we all just show up at the put in, put on our gear, jump in the water and go. No one's like, here's our safety considerations for the day and here's our learning goals for the day. So, right. yeah, the Women's Winter Whitewater Workshops is meant to, uh, like, support women who are trying to step up from class two to three or three to four and who maybe, like, just got a dry suit and haven't been winter boating before to, like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, let them know that there's a support network and that they can they can push themselves there instead of feeling like they're holding up the group if they want right. to try something that might go wrong. So you're in a mixed group. You're on a hard run that's too hard for you. And maybe instead of trying this rapid that you think you might mess up, you would just walk around it. Um, but here, I'm like, no, it's okay. And if you mess up, I'm waiting right at the bottom and I will pick you up. We are. We, yeah. we have the people You're sitting at the bottom. You're not an inconvenience to me. I'm nope. here to help you learn. Right. So that, that's the difference. Um, and it's when, just more yeah. intentional. Yeah. And when they get through it clean, then that obviously has to be a big confidence booster because they were already questioning their ability at the top of the rapid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's all this, once you get into harder whitewater, there's all this discussion about risk taking mm-hmm. um, and your risk to reward 
equation. Like what is a acceptable reason to take this risk? And, you know, risk taking for risk taking in and of itself is like, uh, it just like stigmatizes. Like, well, you can't just risk the whole group's safety just because you want to. Like, why are you ready? Do you have the skill? And can you perform to that skill level today on this water? And is this the right, you know, setting? Is the water level good? Is the weather good? Are we on time? We're not running out of daylight. Um, I think that that is really great in harder white water, but I think that it, it makes people scared to step up and it makes people scared to take risks when they're entering a group who's already like progressed and then they're like the person who's kind of just trying to catch up. I, I definitely felt like that a lot last year. Like last winter, I was like, All right, am, am I ready for this? And yeah, then you no, get I'm out there, am, am I going to be slowing everybody down? Yeah. Um, and on the trip where we were on the eel, or not... Elk? The elk. Oh. The elk. The popped boat trip? Where we, we popped the boat. Yeah. I, I was kind of looking at it like, do we try to patch this boat or... The road is right up there. We just got to climb straight up this hill and just haul out and let them continue having their day. At that point, it was like, yeah, we, we need to just get the boat out of the water and let them go because it was getting a little bit later that day as well. Yeah, that's a long day. The Elk is uh, near Port Orford. It's far from everywhere unless right. you live in Port Orford. Hundred <laughs> percent. There's no place that you can come from where you're like, was that a bird just hit the window? Yeah, it, uh, just, it didn't see the glass. You know, birds, um, they have bird brains. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. Turns out. <laughs> I think he's fine. He's going to be fine. Yeah, he, he flew off. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a minor concussion. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, but no, th- yeah, that's definitely something that when you're coming into a group and you know that they've all boated together and you're new to the group, mm-hmm. that's something that you're probably thinking to yourself, am I hindering this group in any way? And, and if you're not thinking that, you should be. Right. You 100% should be because you don't know what their skill level is and they don't know what your skill level is. I mean, it becomes apparent pretty quickly, usually. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, so the thing that I really appreciate about Sean and like us learning to R2 together and stuff is like he basically took a bunch of his friends who were outdoorsy and like quasi-athletic and he just like turned them into rafters Mm -hmm. and got them stoked and like provided them with the paddles and the pfds provided them with the shuttles took them in in his boat until like they got their own boats so like there's a whole crew of people that kind of came up together knowing nothing and then building towards doing class five and all all these folks are like i I don't know just kind of people who like my friend who's staying here right now zach levine um, people who just kind of like learned by doing, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people have a whitewater mentor and it's kind of, I've heard it described as a legacy sport where someone has to take you under their wing and like show you how right. it goes. And I think though, like that only works to a point and then you just have to go out and like find your own way. Mm-hmm. And so our tuning was cool because when we started our tuning, no one we knew was our tuning. And then they saw us doing it and then they're looking over at their, 14 foot raft with two dry boxes and oars and then they're looking over at us carrying our boat up in one trip and then they're looking at their oars and they're looking at us going through the slot oars can't fit through and next thing you know after we got that paddle cat all of our friends who are rowing uh started buying small boats and then there's been this like wave of 12 foot and under Mm -hmm. boats in the last 
I want to say four or five years. And so it's been cool to see that progression. And on the West Coast, especially, I don't know what's going on on the East Coast. Maybe they've been doing it there forever. But it seems like there's just um, there's, yeah. this big move towards R2. Mm-hmm. And I no one taught me how to R2. Sean and I just sat next to each other. And then we just would, like, flip. <laughs> <laughs> did, and, with, like, we was, flipped in... At the beginning, um, did he have his flip command? Oh, Oh, fuck, we're fucked. Oh, fuck, we're fucked. <laughs> uh, that's, that's something that we would get as we were rowing, typically. He would okay. be rowing, and I'd be in the front with a paddle, and he'd say that, and then we'd flip. <laughs> so it's a command. It's a command. Yeah. He yells it, boat flips. Yes. <laughs> that's but, awesome. you know, we're, we're following down a bunch of hard shellers, mm-hmm. and we're just kind of, like, trying to see what they're doing, but they're taking all these lines that rubber boats don't want to take. So they're grinding and boofing and splatting and um, whatever fun playboating they do. <laughs> but Sean and I are looking for the deepest channel and trying to put our boat there. And we were doing that and we were doing that. And then kind of like maybe two years ago, it kind of changed where we're like, actually, let's let's take that boof. Let's just let's take just their do line. It. Let's take the kayaker lines. And so we learned this more hard shell style of boating by watching them but we learned it together and so now like we will definitely purposefully bank off all of the pillows and laterals and we're like using the laterals to surface across the river and we're you know instead of choosing the low point between two boulders if there's water going over the boulder we're hitting the high point taking a boof stroke landing flat in the eddy on the backside. so I think there's like so many right ways to do things it's really fun to, to just like learn and progress with somebody without having a teacher sometimes too like the trial by fire learning oh yeah that's and always so, exciting yeah we found what works and what doesn't and um i think r2 is like the epitome of rafting in my opinion now like i don't want to row gear boats unless i'm getting paid like i want to r2 yeah no that checks out <laughs> I, I don't know. There's sometimes that I want to row the gear boat just because. I mean, if it's flat I just, water, I just want way better. I just want to be in the boat, and I just want to row my own boat, and not have to like yell at somebody to communicate with them or have them yelling. Oh, at Sean me. and I don't yell at each no, other. I know. We're, we're no, quiet. you guys are very we're quiet. no yelling on our boat. It's so interesting <laughs> when we follow you guys. It's like you guys just like you've been paddling together for so long mm-hmm. that there is. There's definitely communication happening. I guess you guys are using body language more than anything, but boat language. Boat language. Yeah. You guys are you're putting the boat where it needs to be. Whereas I'm never in the boat with the same person. Right. And so I'm constantly just like, uh, this isn't how I foresaw this going. And and you're like, we're on Plan C already, and we're, we're not even in the rapid yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that has definitely happened before. Uh, there's been times where like you know. People advertise their ability, and then you get in the boat with them. And when you run that first class five, you realize very quickly that maybe they advertised a little bit higher than mm-hmm. what they had claimed. And That's a like, guy oh, thing. Interesting. Did you that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> or it's also from a lot of runs being um, overrated. So you run right. Rainy Falls, and you're like, "No, I'm a class five boater." You're uh, like, "Shut up, dude." No. <laughs> I mean, if you've ran Rainy Falls 20, 30 times and you've never flipped, maybe. Or when someone runs, you know, the Illinois and gets through Greenwall without flipping. And they say, no, I'm a class five boater. I'm like, well, yeah, but you hit the rock and then you hit the hole sideways and then you lost an oar. 
Like, you did not style it. That does not count. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think it's just, yeah, it's just a misunderstanding. People think just because you got through it without dying means that they're there. True. No, yeah. Well, and I mean, our boat is a class five boat. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> we've left it on more than one occasion, and it just keeps going downriver without us. We don't oh, even need it. Oh, you forgot to engage auto, Eddie. It's, it's hard yeah, to reach, but there's a little button. If you don't reach it in time, <laughs> it just keeps going. And, and we have learned that the boat doesn't actually need us. It doesn't. <laughs> it keeps going through the rapids without you if you don't control it. So that's fun. Yeah. That little blue boat is, um, that's a spicy ride. It's narrow. You need to. It's very narrow. You need to drive that boat through every single feature. The boat doesn't, you know, like if you have a loaded gear boat and you kind see of. a lateral wave coming. You just set up your momentum and your angle, and you know what's going to happen. I feel like Little Blue gets tossed if you don't actively drive it. Yeah, a little bit. I, I r one the Sandy Gorge in it, and that's when I realized that the boat's going to keep going downstream. Mm-hmm. It, you don't have to paddle like an absolute savage all of the time. Wait, you just figured that out? <laughs> it's like I've been hoping that that's what would happen, and then when I was in the boat all by myself... And there was not the option to yes. be going 100 miles an hour. Because you would just be going in circles if you were right. savagely paddling just, all the ah! time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I learned a lot about the importance of just getting the boat angle in the right currents. Mm-hmm. And just letting the river push the boat through the rapid. I've um, heard people say that to learn to R2, you should start by R1-ing. I would not tell them that that's a bad idea i would start our wanting on class one and class two yes that <laughs> and then progressively work your way up um but no it gives you a lot better understanding of where should the boat be pointed and what should i be doing from here mm-hmm. to make it go there versus there's two of us right if we just paddle as hard as we can and point the boat in whatever direction it's going to go over there um so yeah i'm as I'm getting harder to get out of bed in the morning, oh. I'm trying to do less things <laughs> and work less hard. Yes. <laughs> Let the river do the work is how most people would put that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, paddling hard is important when there's like one feature that you need to paddle hard for. But I think if you just paddle hard all the time, you're going to wear yourself out in a way that like you don't have... The ability to perform at your skill level late in the day. Like, I get tired after, like, a 10 all day. Yeah. Oh, at the end of the Josephine Creek, I was exhausted. Yeah. I was just like, oh, my gosh, now I have to ride back to the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing that, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a couple scary points driving back. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that one spot where it pinches real tight and then it drops over the hill. Yeah, Coming up like from that. the other side, you can't see that hole. Oh. I almost put the Jeeps or... Mike's truck's front wheel in it and like just barely missed it. It was like <gasps> driving up the hill to get away from it. I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we were at Taylor's Sausage having beers and burgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Strong work. Yeah. No, it was, that was a pretty rad day. Thank you for coming out with us. You guys actually ended up leading the trip, which was sweet. We prefer to be in front. 
I don't like... I prefer you guys to be I don't like all the other boats blocking the view of what's coming and then getting stuck. Or and then taking like, some crazy line and then you think you should follow them and then you get there and you're like, that was wrong. I actually have a short, scary story about that. Um, we went and did Lawson Creek, mm-hmm. which comes into the Illinois River across from the Oak Flat Takeout in Agnes. And uh, we were follow. It was a two-boat trip, just uh, Zach Levine in a hard shell and Sean and I in an inflatable and um we were following him and there's this blind corner and he just starts paddling super hard to the right all of a sudden and so we're like well there must be an obstacle on the left we need to avoid and so we start doing that too and then we come around the corner and there's a log on the right at the bottom of the drop so we took the drop and swam into the log and like lost our boat for a second when you could have gone left when we could have just gone left and taken a bigger drop off a banked corner and totally avoided the log but exploratory boating, it's like no one knew the log was there, no one knew the drop was there, right. and it was a blind corner in somewhat continuous water. There wasn't anywhere to like, Eddie oh, quick, we'll just eddy out and look at it. And, you know, if Sean and I had not been reacting to what we saw the other boater doing, we would have just ridden the current around the outside of the bend. Right. Um, so that was definitely a good lesson that, like, actually... I like to be in the front and make my own choices, and I'm not going to react to what I see other people doing because I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know what's happening in their heads. It might not be the same thing that's happening in my head. Probably not, actually. It gets weird up here. (laughs) (laughs) Just sorting stuff out as we go. Yeah. No, everyone was fine, and we got our boat back, but um, it was That's scary. I was, like, standing on the log, and Sean's dry suit was, like, stuck on one of the sharp branches. And I was, like, reaching underwater and, like, helping, like, try to get his, like, cuff unstuck. And he was, like, in the water. Ugh. Ugh. <sighs> yeah. Wood is just the worst. Like, I will take a rock sieve obstacle any day over a downed tree. <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to say before we close up? Um, Just that it's been super fun getting to know the Southern Oregon crew. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad to be here and be boating and... Um, I think people, people should change their lifestyles, quit their jobs, get a van down by the river, buy a boat. hundred percent. It's, um, it's the only thing that matters. That checks out. That's <laughs> what I've been doing with all my friends. Trying to convince them all to quit their careers and become raft guides. Mm-hmm. It's a solid life choice. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so many other things that you could do that are not as good. I agree. All right. Well, thanks for listening everybody. Uh, thank you for having me, Nicole. This was incredibly awesome i've absolutely loved this conversation this is so much fun Uh, i really hope that we get an opportunity to do it again in the future okay see you next time bye